you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19, this will be our meditation, our scripture meditation as we approach the Lord's table uh, tonight. Psalm 19, beautiful psalm, we've been there before, and I will review something I've taught you before, but I want to show you something more that is on my heart tonight. Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm about the Bible, it's about God's Word. Uh, Sometimes you think of Psalm 19 as divided in two parts, it's really not, it's three parts. The first part has to do with uh, God revealing himself in creation, his power and his providence in creation. And the first part of the psalm, you can see that, verses 1 through 6, talks about the sun in particular. But from verse 7 on to about verse 9, it's talking specifically about God's revealing himself in the Bible. So you have what some theologians call general revelation and particular revelation. You have the first part, God reveals enough of himself to condemn us, but then in the second part, he reveals enough of himself to redeem us, to save us, and to instruct us, and to give us everything that we need. But there's a third section, and that's my focus tonight, because it's in that section, really, if you kind of like understand the psalm backwards, then you really understand it. It's in that section that you see, how, and this is the negative side of it, how to avoid a spiritual meltdown. And when I talk about meltdown, some of you immediately are thinking in angry tirade, and that may be a meltdown for you. But there are other kinds of meltdowns, spiritual meltdowns, besides an angry tirade. It may be that you just despair and that you give up or you give in or that you stop you know, walking with the Lord. Or it might be that you just completely feel crushed and overcome with guilt. Or there may be any number of things that, that could be described as. In the Bible, the word used in Psalm 19 is the great transgression. The great transgression in Psalm 19. I'm haunted by a picture from my youth. And here it is. I was a youth. Yeah, I knew you were going to laugh when you saw that. Uh, get it out of your system now. Thank you. Um, it was my youth group. It was a part of my youth group. We had a, a youth group of 80 young people. And these were uh, some of the young people one year that we took on a little tour, a little singing tour. And this was a little chorale group that we, that we took on a singing tour. And I lost uh, track of this picture for a long time. And it came back into my possession. And, uh, and I sat and looked at it, and it's probably like a lot of pictures that you have from ministry here in this church in the past. I'm kind of haunted by this picture. Uh, some of these young people have done really well, and their lives have been very, very beautiful and exemplary and outstanding, and they're happy, and they're prosperous. But some of the young people in this youth group they melted down. They didn't do well. It's not just young people. We, we hear this of leaders, of pastors, and men and women alike. Um, and tonight I, I want to talk to you as we approach the Lord's table about how to avoid a spiritual meltdown. If you're a positive thinker and you'd rather approach this from the positive end, that's appropriate. You'll see this in the text. Another way to say this would be how to have ongoing spiritual prosperity in your life. But I prefer to kind of get you sober this evening by thinking, how can I avoid a meltdown? Look at this picture. Though these young people aren't all in the picture, I think uh, that four of the young people that are in that youth group are not living anymore. One of the boys here in the picture, Richard, a third one in there from uh, my left, from your left, third one in, and Richard uh, was killed in an automobile accident. He's uh, run across the street to get some food for his co-workers. And uh, 
Richard was uh, a young guy that, whose family wasn't really walking with the Lord. Uh, his mom would be out in, at night uh, trying to socialize, and he'd be at a youth activity. And um, we would drive him home, and he would, he would go around back, and he'd have to break into his own house because he was locked out of his house. And some others took him in and instructed him, and he had a hunger for God, the things of the Lord. And I was at a conference in Grand Rapids one day, and uh, Warren Wearsey was speaking. When he got done, he had a question and answer session. I asked a question, and Richard came up to me because he was there. He said, when I heard your voice, I knew you were here. I knew it was you. I said, Richard, what are you doing here? He said, I'm, I'm training for the ministry. But the Lord chose to take him home. There was another boy in this youth His name was Byron. He's just a crazy kid. Always doing crazy things, breaking stuff and that. Uh, he wasn't particularly bad kid. He just broke things a lot. And um, and he went, spent some time with a friend one night, came home, and his mother came in the morning, wake him up. He was dead. 14-year-old boy. Just a horrible circumstance. Others melted down spiritually, morally. Not Not all of them, but some of them. It pains me. I, can't, I was going to tell you names. It just hurts too much to say it. But a couple in my thinking. One one boy that the first day I was a youth pastor at this church, they wanted me to go visit him. So I went and visited him. And he was uh, kind of getting tugged to the world. And his mom and dad were struggling to walk with the Lord. And they wanted him to walk with the Lord. And I led him into a profession of faith. The next Sunday I, I baptized him. But shortly thereafter... He began to, he'd come to youth group, he'd go off and smoke pot in the woods and stuff, and, and he had trouble with alcohol and drugs. And uh, my grandmother called me one day. His name was Donnie. She said, Donnie's dead. She overdosed on drugs. And I thought, you know, he had every privilege. He could have, we would have done anything for him. But he melted down. One of the most promising and beautiful young people in this youth group, one of the most beautiful and promising, bright young people in this youth group, had great hardship in her life and eventually ended her life, took her life. A uh, week before Mother's Day in May of 2006. And it was the, one of the hardest things you could ever hear. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. It's just things of the Lord. Are, you know, sometimes you come to church on Sunday night, you go, okay, it's just another service. No, it isn't just another service. It's not such a thing as just another service. It's life and death. People's lives hang in the balance. There are people here, there are some of you here tonight, and you have loved ones that love you and they care about you and they don't want you to go to hell. They don't want your life to melt down. They care about you. They want you to be saved. There's, there are people here in the service tonight, probably a Bible-toting person, and you, you, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the next year or two with you. you, you we don't know what's happening in the private you know, thoughts in your own heart and life. And so I want to help you by sharing with you something that I found that's very encouraging to me here in this psalm, Psalm 19. I want you to look at a couple of things. The first section there, and this is a suggestion, and I'll go quickly over this because I've taught this before. But how do I avoid a spiritual meltdown? First of all, chapter 19, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, let creation tug you into the Word of God. Now, now think about this. In this case, you've got the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then He has set a tabernacle for the sun, 
This is understanding. He's talking about the firmament or the heavens and the sun tracking through the sky. So he's just saying, look at the sky. God is shouting to everybody on earth in the creation of the sun in the sky. God is speaking. We see this also in Romans 1. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. A couple of pictures here. Its rising is from one end of heaven and a circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. God's continually speaking to everybody in the world through his creation. And so, if you want to avoid a spiritual meltdown, first of all, let nature and God's power and God's creative providence, his providence and his creative power, let that tug you Godward into the Word of God. Because that's what's going to come next. You notice in Psalm 19, the next section is a beautiful poetic section talking about a number of different ways to describe the Bible. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I'm just I'm going to pulling a pastoral trick on you tonight, okay? Not really a trick. It's not really deceptive. It's just uh, maybe I should rephrase it. I, I'm doing something which I believe is pastoral wisdom tonight. I'm pushing you in the direction you're leaning, right? How many of you said, you know, I really need to get in the Word this year. I need to read the Bible more. Raise your hand. Yeah, now I want to push you in that direction. That's a great, that's a great thing. And I would suggest that you root your life in the Word of God, that every day that you root your life in the Word of God, it's before Internet, it's before email, it's before personal conversation, a quiet chair in front of the window or by the fire where you and God, you meet, and you talk with Him, and you listen to His voice, and you're quiet before Him, and you open up His Word. You want to avoid a meltdown, then let the creation around you, including the people that God created and all the things around you, nudge you, push you toward the Word of God, and then put your roots down in the Word of God. Now, I'm going I'm to expand on this number two there, and let me just show you some things, and I'll do this quickly because this is material I've covered before, so I'll do this very fast, frustratingly, so you can kind of go back to the podcast and find a message on this. But I want to give you these. Are you able to read this? Is this big enough for you to read? Help me on this. How many of you can read this? Raise your hand. Oh, okay, you're good. All right. So your eyes are better than mine. All right, uh, but let me show you these six things. The Bible gives spiritual life. You want to get your roots down in the Bible because the Bible gives spiritual life. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul or reviving the soul. The Bible gives spiritual life. It's where you understand the gospel. Some of you here tonight, you know, you, you wonder, you think that spiritual life comes from trying real hard or doing good or going to church or, or some kind of like spiritual uh, moral gymnastics, but that's what the Bible says. The Bible is the seed of truth and the Word of God gives the gospel about Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection. He died and was buried and He rose again. Jesus Christ died to pay for the guilt and the shame that you have. We always talk about this. We try to talk about it in every service here. Jesus Christ died to pay for the guilt and shame that you have, and when you put that on Him, when you trust Him, and you put your faith and your trust in His righteousness, then you pass from death into life. In the Bible, that's called born again. Then, then you become a Christian. That's what it means to become a Christian. It's not holding your face right, knowing how to cross yourself, when to kneel, what to memorize. I'm not mocking anybody. It's not any kind of religious rituals. It's, it's something that happens in your soul and in your heart when you believe that you're unworthy, that Jesus is worthy. The Bible is the one that get, the Bible is where you get that truth. And that's what the Bible says in 1 Peter. And so the Bible gives spiritual life. You need to have spiritual life. You may die tonight. You may die tomorrow. Well, none of us, this may be your last year on earth. You may have already celebrated your last Christmas. And so it might be wise for you to think very carefully about this 
and see to it that you have spiritual life and that you are right with the Lord. You could do that tonight, you understand? Tonight, you know, because this is not a merit program where you've got to earn your way. It's not like, a, it's not like being an Eagle Scout where you've got to get a you know, sash full of badges. Religious badges is not it. Salvation, did you know, is an instantaneous thing? You get saved instantaneously. Isn't that awesome? It's kind of like marriage. You might get courted to God a little bit, but there's that I do moment when you are married. Before that, you were a single man. God pity you, you know. And then after that, you have somebody to cook for you and take care of you and love you and someone to take care of. Sorry, ladies. I was just kidding. You're married then. It's in a moment. It's instantaneous. And that same with well, birth. The Bible talks about like salvation is kind of like marriage or the new birth. So are you born again? Do you have life in you? Because if you do, it's because you got the truth from the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or converting the soul. That'd be a good reason to get in the Bible, to get the message that gives you life. The Bible is the only accurate record of who God is. We tend to think of we need to know who we are. No, we don't. We need to know who God is. God will tell us who we are. The testimony of the Lord, that means the biography of God, the story of God, it is uh, sure or accurate, and it's, it makes foolish people wise. That's what verse seven, the second part of verse 7 says. Why do you want to get in the Word every day? Well, you get in the Word every day so you can have life. And so you can have life revived. And you get in the Word of God every day because it's what tells you about who God really is. You know, everybody, every, every joker on TV has got his idea about who God is. It's just kind of, it's something he cooked up out of his brain, out of his depraved mind. That idea. Get in the Word of God. God's sure, tested, true Word of God. It will tell you who God is. You want to know who God is? If you want to understand you, you need to understand God, and he'll tell you who you are. He'll show you who you are. You concentrate on getting to know God, and you will understand you. Some of you, like, you're married tonight, and you, you hope your marriage lasts. You hope that you can be married. And you're, and you're kind of, like, thinking, I'm like, I, you know, I hope this lasts, and, and we can you know, raise our kids together and all of that. I'm telling you, get to know God. Get to know him. Get your roots down in God's word. And when you know him, he will let you know about you. Both of you, get in God's word. Get in a good church. Get on your knees in prayer. Humble yourself before the Lord. Walk the Lord. Get in one of our ABF classes every Sunday and just hunger and dig there. Get into the word of God. Get your kids in Sunday school. And you, and you come. Be a fanatic. Come on Sunday night, you know. Sing. Lois is over there. And when the choir was singing, she said, they should have sung that one this morning. I told her I heard the pines warming up and I said, they got a Sunday night song that they should have sung this morning. Well, I, don't, I think it's fine, Pastor. You're good. But what a blessing to be here tonight. You could have watched yet another football game, which you're not going to remember the score of next year, but you chose to be here. But there's something deeper. There's something richer. There's something that's sweeter. There's something that's more profound that's happening here tonight because we're talking about the things of God. And so if, if you need help, you have God's help right here. Get your roots down in God's Word. Think of that. This is a wonderful promise. No other book in the world, no other person in the world, no other organization in the world can, can do this for you. The Girl Scouts, nice group, good cookies, can't do this for you. All right? Like it? If they're coming, I'm buying. But they just can't do that. They don't even claim to do that, right? There isn't a dog kennel that you can join that's going to do for you. This is the group right here. It's the church of the living God teaching the Bible, the Word of God. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise and simple. You need wisdom? Learn about God. The Bible gives specific direction for living. The statutes or the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The Bible contains commandments of God, the command of the Lord. It's pure, enlightening the eyes. The Bible shows me how to experience genuine, lasting worship. You are made to worship God. 
And that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's reverence for God. It's, it's letting your heart be deeply stirred by God. So the fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. That's going to last forever. What are they going to be doing throughout all of eternity? They're going to be worshiping Jesus Christ. Can I, can I rephrase that? What are we going to be doing throughout all of eternity? We are going to be worshiping Jesus Christ. Thou art worthy is what we're going to be saying all throughout eternity. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. We're not going to be praising a car in heaven. We're not going to be praising a team in heaven. We're not going to be praising a designer in heaven or some, you know, or some cultural cool icon. But our, we'll be on our faces, pray, those of us who know the Lord, giving glory and honor. And that will give us great soul satisfaction. How, how, do, we, how do we learn to worship or reverence God? Well, you, you get your roots down in the Bible. The Bible shows me how to experience genuine lasting worship. One more thing the Bible does. The Bible shows you how to have a righteous life, how to live a righteous life. The judgments of the Lord or the rulings of the case law are true and righteous altogether. It gives you kind of more specific, down, you know, detailed direction. So you study the Bible, you get some detailed direction. So you have big overarching principles, you have detailed direction. This is just review. I want you to see that, though, because if you want to avoid a meltdown, first thing, let creation tug you into the Bible. Second, get, in, get your roots down in the Bible. Now, here's what, I just said that to introduce this idea. How do you avoid a meltdown? Here's what I like to do. I like you to take you through verses 10 through 14, okay? And I'd almost be tempted to do it backwards to make it clear. But we'll jump down to verse 14, I'll show you, verse 13, I'll show you something. Then we'll go back to verse 10, and we'll go cruising through verses 10 through 14. I think this will help you, okay? But in there, there is this chilling phrase in verse 13. What's the very end of verse 13? It says this, Then I shall be blameless... And I shall be innocent of the great transgression. I was reading that one day, and it just put fear in my soul. It gave me a sober feeling. I've met people who were guilty of a great kind of great transgression, a life meltdown kind of a thing. Whether that was depression, or whether that was immorality, or whether it was unbelief and infidelity, or whatever it was, maybe they just kind of quietly drifted away from fellowship with the Lord. Whether they were born again or not, God knows, but they, they were, they were, their lives were consumed with this great transgression. You don't want that to happen to you. And I want to suggest to you, this is beautiful. This is the negative part. The positive part is right after that. Let the words of my mouth, and this is verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's the opposite of you have a spiritual meltdown. So, in other words, why is the psalm saying what the psalm is saying? It's saying what it's saying so that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart are acceptable in the sight of God and our life is profoundly, uh, we're flourished spiritually. Just before that, there's this warning and it says both things. It says, by them your servant is warned and in keeping of them there is great reward in verse 10. By them your servant is warned, but in keeping of them is great reward. You got both going on there, you get it? So here we are. We're at the threshold of a brand new year. It's 2011. How are you going to, how are you going to have prosperity in the next year? You get your roots down in the Word of God. Let the, let creation tug you into the Bible. Get your roots down in the Bible. And then I want you to notice that it's a progression here. It's actually kind of chilling. But I want to state it in a positive way. So here we have, develop a hunger and thirst for the Word. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the cunning honeycomb. Two different ways we desire. One is, like, for money, something valuable. And the other is for food, something tasty. 
And they're using these two pictures of the Bible. This is the way it ought to be for you. This ought to, you have a desire like this is tasty, it's delicious, it's, it's compelling to you, it's attractive to you, or it's valuable to you. What is the Bible, God's Word? When God speaks, that should be valuable to you. When God speaks, that should be satisfying to you. You get that? And that's what verses 10 is saying. More to be desired. So develop a hunger and thirst for the Word. Second, take the warnings of the Word of God very seriously. Notice that. What it says in verse 11. I think I said that was in verse 10 earlier. It is in verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. You get up in the morning and you read your Bible and you might find a warning there. Just the warning that you needed. That's why people's lives are melting down. It's because they don't have anybody warning them. They're not in the Word. They're not getting good, solid you know, direction in their lives. And yet the, word, the Bible has direction for your life. And so take the warnings of the Bible seriously. Matter of fact, you just see that in people's lives. Value the benefits of the Word in your own life, verse 11. And in keeping of them there is great reward. So when you obey the Bible, the principles of the Bible the precepts, the statutes, the testimonies, the judgments of the Bible, when you obey them, when you revere them, when you follow them, they will warn you and they will reward you. They're satisfying and there's a safety that's involved in that. That's verse 11. Verse 12 then, you start to get into something kind of interesting because you have kind of a, a mention of sin in a little way and then the next verse mentions it in a bigger way and the next verse a bigger way and the next verse a bigger way until five of these mentions in, it ends in a great transgression. This is the heart of what I wanted to give you as we approach this table tonight. Watch this. Be ruthless with small sins in your life. Be ruthless with small sins in your life. I did not say be ruthless with small sins in your wife's life. Real bad idea. I didn't say be be ruthless with small sins in your kids' lives. Yes, they should drive you to your knees. They should cause you to examine your own heart. You should be very careful and wise in your instruction of your children. You are ruthless with small sins in your own life. Be hard on yourself with the small sins in your own life. Notice what verse 12 says. I want you to see it all together. We'll see this. Who can understand his errors? Notice that. The next phrase says, cleanse me from secret faults. So you go from an error, which sounds kind of small, oops, to a secret fault, which is a little more serious now, isn't it? It's a fault that I'm covering up. Nobody knows. Keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Now I'm sinning presumptuously. As if it doesn't matter. That's worse, isn't it? Can you see how these are getting worse? Then it says, let them not have dominion over me. Now you're talking about life-dominating sins that you keep going back to even though you're trying to get away from them. It starts with an error, goes to a secret fault, then presumptuous sins, then life-dominating sins, and then it says... The great transgression. Notice this. Be ruthless with the small sins in your life, which the Bible may have called errors here. Be honest about your sin or secret faults. Let things come to the open. Confess them to God. Say to God what he says about them. That's a critical er- way that you're going to grow spiritually. Is when you, you know, we, we have, this, like, have a natural tendency to justify ourselves, to explain ourselves. Somebody calls us on something, and we have an excuse, or we have a defense, or we have a hard shell around us. And some people, they live that way, never really being honest about who they are. Never really be, this, according to the Bible, is a way to melt down spiritually. God pitied people who can't ever acknowledge they were wrong. God pitied you. If you can't ever acknowledge you're wrong, you will one day be far from God. God pity you. If you can't ever acknowledge you're wrong, you are not going to have a strong marriage because it won't work that way. 
God pity you if you will never acknowledge that you're wrong. You will not win the hearts of your children. But God's Word says these secret faults are dangerous and they're like in a downward spiral. So be honest about your sin with others and with God. This is how you avoid a spiritual meltdown and how you have prosperity this year and every year. Be honest about your sin. Verse 13, don't see sin as a trifle. Don't be presumptuous about your sin. Don't say, eh, it's not a big deal. Don't say that. That's presumption. That's assuming God isn't going to judge sin. That's assuming there aren't bad repercussions. It's assuming that bad things aren't going to happen when you let these sin kind of take root in your life. And if you listen to other people, they'll tell you that it's okay. Everybody does it. It's not a problem. It is a problem. Watch their lives unfold. You're going to see a meltdown someday in their life. You may experience it yourself, God forbid. And so don't see sin as a trifle. Do you see these things from 12? Verse 12 there, be ruthless with small sins, be honest about your sin, and don't see sin as a trifle. And then be free from life-dominating sins. In a moment, I'll show you how that works. Be free from life-dominating sins. You have a life-dominating sin. It's because you have presumptuous sin, because you had secret faults, because you had errors that that went unchecked and unconfessed. And then finally, so you'll be innocent of the great transgression. It's actually not final. Verse 14 is final. That's what it says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is what you want. Because if the words of your mouth and if the meditation of your heart are acceptable to God, you're good to go. If the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart are right, the rest of you is going to be right too. The words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart tell you who you really are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The person says, yeah, I use bad language, but my heart's right with God. No, it isn't. If you use bad language, your heart isn't right with God. If you lie, your heart isn't right with God. If you gossip, your heart isn't right with God. If you eagerly point out the fault of other people, then your heart isn't right with God. I say this with humility and with meekness, with fear, but it's true. And so wouldn't it be good tonight to say, okay, I'm going to back up and I'm going to pick up my errors. I'm going to back up and I'm going to pick up my presumptuous sins so that I won't have life-dominating sins. My secret faults, secret sins, so that, I, so that my life doesn't melt down. We don't want that, right? We don't want that. One of the reasons that we have communion is because there's a little confession built into that. Not confession to one another, though that's appropriate if you choose to do that, but direct confession to God. There's a time then the, the, the musicians will often play a thought-provoking hymn while these elements are being passed out. That's a time for self-examination. That's a time for you to think, where do I stand with God? And not, am I perfect, but am I real with God? It's time for you to confess some sin that comes to your heart right then. That's why we do this real regularly. And, and it's a time for you to, to say, is there anything between me and the Lord that's not right? Is there anything he said to do I haven't done? Is there anything he said not to do I do? Are there, are there thoughts in my mind that I've entertained, willingly entertained, that aren't right? Well, the way to avoid a spiritual meltdown is to come to a place like communion or in your truck or in your rocking chair in front of the window, looking out over your backyard, or on your knees by your coffee table, where you say to God, God, I've gotten presumptuous of my sin. I'm tolerating these errors in my life. This anger, or this thing I call irritation that really is sinful anger, or, or this defrauding behavior, the way I dress, it's not pleasing to the Lord. The movies that I watch on television, the books that I read, the music I listen to, it doesn't please the Lord. It doesn't have right things in it. It's not meditating on good things. It doesn't pass the Philippians 4.8 rule. Whatever is praiseworthy is what I meditate on. 
Wouldn't it be a good thing tonight to say, even if all the Christians in the world say it's okay to say watch a movie with blasphemy in it or watch a movie with nudity in it, how can you come to the Lord's table and look to Jesus Christ in the face and say, I'm going to defend my sin like that? My friend, you're headed for a meltdown. Or somebody that you love very much in your life is headed for a meltdown. May God help all of us. I'm not, I'm not badgering you. I'm speaking truth that my own soul needs. I'd speak it to you out of love. Are you serious about the things of God? Do you want a prosperous life where the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart are acceptable in sight? Do you fear a meltdown, a train wreck of a life? Because you have that option here. And so as we go to the Lord's table now tonight, I trust that you'll consider that. As we observe the Lord's Supper, the idea here in the Lord's Supper would be that we are thoughtful. I'm going to show you something here. The idea that would be that we would be thoughtful about Jesus, who he is, and what he has done, and what he said he's going to do. In other words, that he is God, and that he is our Savior, that he died for our sins, that he prays for us now, that he sent him back to heaven, he prays for us now, and that he's one day coming back. Now, for, for some of you tonight, this may be like, wow, I don't know, this is a lot, you know, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with this. I understand that. That's the way you normally feel. But can I just like ask you something? Is there a little bit of a, kind of like a tug on your heart tonight? Is there a little bit of a, like, I wonder if what this guy is saying is true feelings that you have? Because sometimes what that is, is a precious gift from God. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit activating the Word of God that's been spoken into your life and saying, this is true. And if that's happening, you should be really happy tonight. Because that means God's at work in your life. And if that's not happening, you should fear and ask God, oh God, work in my life. Oh God, give me a f- the fear of God. Uh, can I say this to those of you that are, are our own young people? You know how much I, I love you and our other pastors and leaders and Awana leaders and Sunday school teachers and former pastors care about you and we love you. I do not want to see a picture of you somewhere down the road and grieve over it. I just don't want to see that. And nobody here does. We want to be able to say, look what God did. Look how God is, look at how that family has prospered and flourished. Look how the blessing of God is on their life. Because they took the things of God seriously day by day by day. They meditate on the Word of God. Do you see? When my oldest boy was just a little, little tiny boy, he was with me in the car one day, and I wanted him to memorize this Bible verse, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I made up a little song. And I can still hear his voice singing it. It kind of goes like this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, my rock and my redeemer. A lot of years ago, I, I made up that little thing. And I still remember him on the seat beside me and us singing together. And since then, there been a lot of times when I thought about thinking something I shouldn't think or saying something I just shouldn't ever say. And this came to my mind. But the words of my mouth, oh God, and the secret thoughts of my life, because they're open to you, let them be acceptable to you, oh God. 
And if that's true, my life isn't going to melt down and yours isn't going to melt down either. Are you in? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Will you be a follower of Jesus Christ? Tonight, if you're not, don't be embarrassed. Just be thoughtful and pass this tray when it gets to you. It's really only for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? Don't be embarrassed by that. As an act of sincerity, you pass it by because you're being sincere. Had a, had a lady here one, one day a while ago, a year and a half ago or so. She said, you know, for the first time I realized I shouldn't take communion. And I thought, you know what? She's closer to the Lord now than she was before because she fears God. See what I'm saying? And some of you, you say, I know I'm a Christian. I've willfully sinned. I'm not right with somebody and I haven't made it right. I'm not willing to make it right. And I'll make it right right now. And then you partake of the Lord's Supper. But if you're unwilling to do that, um, then don't, don't partake of the Lord's Supper. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. So we welcome you to the Lord's table tonight to celebrate the grace of God, His mercy, and what He's done for us. Celebrate that. Just rejoice and thank God for that. And these elements that we're going to pass out, first the bread, you take it and hold it, and then we'll partake of it together. You'll see. And then later we'll pass out the cup representing the pure blood of Jesus Christ. And then we'll partake of that together. When we do that, we'll think about who Jesus is. We'll think about what he did for us. It gives us a sense of very a sweet sense of happy security and, and um, soul fidelity in our souls, our, our faithfulness to God during that time. Lord, we thank you tonight that we can come to your table. Thank you, Lord, tonight that we have the riches of your word. Thank you, Lord, tonight that you're still working in people's lives and changing people's lives and, and uh, making people new and stirring them up with love for the things of God as we've seen here tonight. Thank you for your body, which was broken for us. Amen. How many of you are like I am? The longer you know the Lord, the more you look forward to communion services, the fellowship that we have together. Did you notice that, did you ever notice that God never designed for communion to be alone? He didn't want it that way. He designed for communion to be together. He designed a lot of things in the Christian life to be a community, a together thing, not an alone thing. Even though we tend to think independently, it's really not the way the Bible's written. It's not the heart of God. Something that always happens to me when these men distribute the elements and then come back and then we serve them, there's a, there's a fellowship that we have. There's a oneness of heart that we have. Not because we all like the same things necessarily, but because we all are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that is. So it's the way God designed it to be. I love to read the words of the Apostle Paul that are recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I was at a conference a few years ago, and a young woman walked past me. She had three little adorable boys. She said, hi, Pastor Pierpont. I said, I'm sorry, but I don't remember who you are. She said, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm Lauren Elm's wife. You see the guy in from, from your left, the, the first man on the left in from the little short girl there, the little short guy there? It's Lauren Elm's. When Lauren was in our youth group, I remember that he, he wasn't a very good athlete. He, um, he was actually an abysmally poor athlete. He was embarrassingly bad. I watched him one time playing softball, and I thought, it is a shame that his dad never took him out in the backyard and taught him how to catch a ball. He can hurt himself. It was, but that wasn't his gift. His gift was music, and God has used him in a beautiful way. And I've actually seen him direct a choir of 4,000 people. A young woman, she, uh, his wife, one thing I remember about Lauren when he was in the youth group, he just had a hunger for God and he had a desire to just simply obey the Bible. thought you might like seeing his family now. Isn't that beautiful? What do you think of that, Lois? So, what's your picture going to look like 25 years from now? You say, I'm not that handsome. Well, I get it. That's not what I'm talking about. You're going to be walking with the Lord? Meditation of your heart going to be pleasing to the Lord? You're going to be, words of your mouth going to be pleasing to the Lord? God forbid you won't melt down. Stand with me. And I want you to sing my little song, will you? After we're done singing this song, you, we get to go home after our fellowship and so forth. But tonight, maybe you're here and you shouldn't go home till you get stuff right with the Lord. Maybe you need to be saved. And this would be an awesome night to get saved. Um, we're seeing something. God do something. Some little girls get baptized. Some other people get saved. Somebody else. There's our sister Erin that was baptized last Sunday night had happened to come tonight that we're talking. After she came to know the Lord and saw the baptisms the other evening, and we were talking about baptism and talking about salvation at night, and her heart was stimulated by those that obeyed, and some gave testimonies tonight that their lives were stimulated by others who obeyed. Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of spiritual momentum going? Maybe some people are going to start getting saved here and right with the Lord and... That would be good. Don't look around. Look at your own heart. Amen? Amen? And, uh, and so tonight, after we've done singing our little song, you'll be dismissed. But I'm going to stay right here. And if you'd like to talk tonight, or if you'd like to have an appointment to talk, um, I'd be happy to talk with you more. If you're a young woman or a woman, and you'd rather talk with a woman, then come talk to me, and I'll, I'll get an appointment lined up with you and a, and a thoughtful, trained woman that can help you. Okay? Can you sing this with me? It kind of goes like this. Real simple. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable to You, O Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, my Rock and my Redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You, O Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, my Rock and my Redeemer. Good night.